As we read uh, God's word, I am uh, the reader. God is the one speaking. That's why we stand uh, as we listen. Uh, This is uh, taken from uh, John chapter 20. On the evening of that day, on the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for the fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. When he said this, he showed them his hand and his side. And the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. And if you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Now Thomas, one of the 12, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the hands, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger in the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered and said, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and by believing you may have life in his name. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Uh, Let's pray. Lord and Heavenly Father, thank you, God, for your great and... and, uh, glorious word that shows us and reminds us of the grace and mercy and power uh, that you displayed in in coming and dying and rising from the dead. And Lord, I pray that your word would speak to us, that by your spirit you'd be moving in our hearts and our minds to understand more and more the power of your resurrection, what that means for us, the grace that is ours in you, Jesus, and that you would be glorified in your name and for your sake we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. When we go out throughout life, there's, there's always some, you know, a certain level of expectations and seasons where we have uh, expectations on how things are going to go. It's just totally normal, you know, and it's, there's a lot of health and, and wisdom in, in setting your expectations right, you know. But uh, as we experience, some of our expectations are misplaced. They might be too high or we think things are going to go a certain way and then it's different. We, we just go through the motions and the seasons of that, you know, when you're growing up. As a kid, you're like, I cannot wait to move out of my, under, from, from out of my parents' roof, live on my own, you know, be independent. So that happens, and it's great for a little bit until rent comes, or, you know, the assignment. Uh, uh, if you're a student and the, you know, the tests uh, start coming in, the projects and responsibilities pile up, so there's adjustment expectations. And, you know, in relationships, there's always expectations we're putting into the relationship we're in, especially if it's a, you know, a romantic one, you know, 
hoping and thinking the person is uh, who we want them to be. Sometimes those, those things are met, but a lot of times we are hurt. We, we experience uh, things we weren't expecting. It, they're a sinner, and especially you know, in a marriage. Any one of us uh, know that there's a level of expectation we enter into a marriage only to find out we married a sinner, <laughs> you know? And then in parenting, you know, I just remember the time when my, my oldest, Ezra, you know, he wasn't even talking yet. And, you know, he reaches for something he knows he's not supposed to go to. And he gives you that look and smile. And you're like, wait a second. <laughs> it's like kind of offensive. You're like, hold on. You're not the cute kid that you were just a moment ago. Like, I'm actually kind of, <laughs> I'm actually kind of upset, <laughs> you know. Expectations having to, to be adjusted, you know. That just, that just goes on and on. You know, and especially when the expectations are, and the reality that we experience, if there's a great gap, like we just have these way off mis-expectations or, or our thought of how things are gonna go or what we expect versus the reality of what we experience, especially if it's worse than what we ex- expected, especially if we go through a season or a time of life or a, a brokenness that's, that's traumatic, versus what we hope and expect, it could be shattering. It could just turn ourselves upside down. We can feel just, just totally uh, uh, spinning in space. And especially, you know, for, for particularly really trying and traumatic events, it could just shatter our core. And as Christians, it could really affect what we believe. It, could, it can affect our, our very faith and what we, what we hold to as true can, can come into question. Is God really uh, care for me? Does, is, is God really behind this? And if so, what does that mean? You know, is, is, is God punishing me? Is God, is God kind of rubbing my face in the dirt? You know, what, what's he doing in all of this? And, and, and all of that can just make us feel like we're, we're spinning out. Well, here we see Men, and particularly one man in particular, who, who had certain expectations, and they were shattered. And what happened was very different than what they expected, and they're now in a place where even the, the things that they thought and believed have come into question. But we see Jesus show up. We see Jesus meet these people and this man. And it doesn't just matter for, for them on, on, on what he does, but it has significance for us here and now, even thousands of years later. And we see that the risen Jesus reaches down to our weak and skeptical hearts and brings us into greater faith and calling through his death and resurrection. The risen Jesus reaches down to our weak and skeptical hearts and brings us into a greater faith and calling through his death and resurrection. There are three things I wanna look at with that. First is a a shattered faith. Second is the Savior's compassion. And third is is a special calling. So first, a a shattered faith. You know, there's two groups uh, that are are highlighted here in these scenes outside of, of Jesus. That's the disciples and then Thomas. And they're different scenes, but if you notice, they, they have a, a similar order to them. You know, Jesus appears that they're hiding. 
Uh, Jesus appears to them. There's a revelation. He shows himself. Uh, there's a response from, from the disciples and from Thomas. And then there's kind of a, a, a command or a, a dialogue from Jesus. Now, there's similarity, and, and we'll talk about that between the two groups, but I really want to focus on Thomas because all of them, the disciples, you know, Jesus shows up. What are the disciples doing? They're scared. They're terrified. They're in a locked room. You know, this is after Mary has announced to them and told them, I've seen the Lord. It, it, it says just in the verse before that Jesus went, or Mary went to the disciples and told them everything that she saw and what Jesus said. So they've heard the news but it doesn't seem to matter much. They're still coward, they're still afraid. And it says they're afraid of, of, of the Jews or the Jewish leaders, really, the men who spearheaded Jesus' crucifixion and death. And they're like, we're next. They know that we were followers of Jesus, so surely they're out to kill us. They're afraid. They've forgotten everything that Jesus had told them. And throughout Jesus' ministry, Jesus was constantly reminding and telling them why he was there, what he was there to do. He was there to die. He was there to suffer. He was there to take on uh, the wrath of, of his father. He was there to save his people. He's constantly reminding them of this. And he was going to rise again. Three days later, I will rise. He constantly reminded them of that. So they have all of this, but they can't, seem to see it. They can't, it, it's, it's kind of gone, gone in through one ear and out the other because they're afraid. Their fear has blinded their eyes. But then it, it, it focuses on Thomas. And I think Thomas is kind of the, the bottom of the barrel where the disciples are. He's sort of the, the epitome of the unbelief that they have in their hearts, the, the fear and, and the doubt. Now, we have a lot of, of thoughts about Thomas. I mean, what's the title of Thomas? Doubting Thomas. It's just, this has, has plagued his identity. This, this event, everyone knows him. Throughout history, it's been doubting Thomas. There's a whole system of, of uh, apologetics or, or you know, the study of theory of, of how we share our faith and the, the support we give and the evidence we give. It's, it's called evidential apologetics. The, the, what's the proof of, of why we believe what we, what we believe? The validity of scripture. You know, we have manuscript evidence. There's all sorts of, of historical accuracy and, and all these things we can point to outside of what scripture itself says to say this is a credible faith. This, is, this isn't just, you know, make-believe or just, a, you know, a shot in the dark, that there's actually real validity and we can, with credibility, with academic credibility, stand on this. But I think we often put Thomas as kind of a poster child to that, you know, he's just wanting proof. The man is just, you know, he just wants evidence. He just, he needs that extra, you know, reason to be able to, to believe. All he's wanting is, is, is some proof. Or we might think of him as, you know, the disciples enter in and he's like, you know, lounging on a chair with a glass of wine and, you know, kind of stroking his beard and reading a copy of Aristotle's work. And as, you know, unless I put my hand in his, his wounds and, you know, this, it's like he's just got to have philosophy 101. And, but we kind of forget who Thomas is. He's not just a guy off the street. This is a guy who followed Jesus for the better part of three years. 
and was devoted to him. The disciples left everything to follow Jesus. They gave up their careers, they gave up their livelihood, and devoted the three years that he was on, on earth before his death to everything he said and did. And Thomas, actually, isn't just a toe-in-the-water kind of follower. He's not on the fringe being like, I don't know about this Jesus. I, you know, I need some more. I just, I just need a little bit more to really start following him. Actually, there's, a, there's an event in John chapter 11. This is where Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. Before he goes, he tells his disciples, and he says, I'm about to go to Judea, and I'm going to raise Lazarus from the dead. And the disciples actually object. And they say, hang on, hang on, whoa, whoa, whoa. They wanted to kill you in Judea. I don't know if you realize that. Your life is in danger if you go back. So this is totally a suicide mission. Why would you ever want to go back? And who tips the scales? Who convinces them to go? It's Thomas. Thomas is the one that actually tells him and says, let us go so that we might die with him. This doesn't seem like an on the fringe follower. This is a man who's willing to die for Jesus. Not only is he following him, but he's willing to risk his own life to follow his leader. That's a dedicated follower. That's a man who's, who's, who's willing to go to the limits for Jesus. But then also, you know, we see him pop up again in, in, in John chapter 14. You know, Jesus is talking about giving the Holy Spirit and he's telling them he's gonna go away uh, for a while and he's gonna go to the Father and prepare a place for him. And, and Thomas chimes in and he says, you know, how, Lord, in, 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 uh, in John chapter 14, Lord, we do not know where you are going, how do we know the way? And Jesus responds with one of the most well-known verses about himself. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, some scholars think, you know, Thomas is this skeptic. He always has questions. Okay, maybe, or, or maybe he's just a, a dedicated follower who wants to know more. Like all of us, we're wrestling. We have questions. We're bringing these things to the Lord. This isn't a man who's kind of on the boundary and being like, I'm not sure about this Jesus. This is a man who's dedicated to the point of willing to die for him. And we also know of all the disciples, you know, they had some misunderstandings of Jesus. They had mis-expectations of what he was there to do. They thought that he was gonna overthrow the Romans, that he was gonna come and actually establish a literal kingdom and release uh, Israel from oppression, defeat the Romans, and there'd be the everlasting blessing and peace that would come from that. And which is why Jesus is all constantly reminding him of why he was really there, but they didn't quite get it. And so you would imagine how traumatic the crucifixion was for them, if they're really holding on to that, that Jesus surrendered himself to the Romans, didn't even put up a fight. In fact, when Peter tries to pull out his sword, Jesus says, put it away. Didn't even put up a fight. Went to trial, totally ridiculed, beaten, mocked in the most shameful way in that culture possible. A crucifixion was incredibly shameful. 
that it was a public display. Jesus was displayed at the gate of the city so that anyone coming in and out would see it. Totally exposed and left there to die. It's traumatic. If they really expect Jesus to overthrow the Romans, the very people they hate the most are the ones who kill him. Think about that. If that's what their expectation and hope was, how just carrying that trauma is a diagnosed trauma event for them. And so they're left picking up the pieces they had mis-expectations, even though Jesus had told them time and time again. They're still holding on to that. We have to give them some, some room for that. You know, in the Old Testament, when, when it would promise Jesus coming, you know, we know Jesus came, why he came uh, uh, the first time. He came to die. He came to sacrifice himself, to, to, to rise from the dead, to seal our redemption. We also know that Jesus is coming back. There's a second coming where Jesus is going to come and establish his kingdom. And that's when death is going to be destroyed. Sin is going to be no more. Uh, Satan is going to be uh, defeated. And there's going to be everlasting peace and blessing, eternal blessing. But in the Old Testament, there were points and times where those two events were almost talked about in the same breath. So a lot of Jews thought it was the same event. So it's... We can give some space to that, but, but still, Jesus was reminding them and telling them why he was really there. I think where Thomas is at, you know, we, we kind of put him in an intellectual category. That he's a man who, who just doubts, who just needs more, more arsenal to get the wheels to turn. I think it's more emotional than that. I think Thomas is really considering throwing in the towel that he's so traumatized and so affected by what happened that he's just thinking of giving up. And we have, I think there's, there's evidence to that. The first is that he isn't there with the disciples the first time. It's, okay, maybe he wasn't on the text thread. Maybe, you know, he didn't get the invite. But the, John notes this. And I think it's intentional in verse 26, it says, the disciples were inside again and Thomas was with them. Uh, or sorry, in verse 24, he was not with them when Jesus came. I think that's an intentional note that uh, the, the author John is putting in there to say, Thomas was absent and that should be noted. You should notice that. He wasn't there. He's already disassociating himself with the disciples He's already showing signs where he's just, I can't do this anymore. I can't do this. Sure, maybe he, he just needed some time alone, but I think given what he says, which is the other part that says, I think where Thomas is at is, is much more of an emotional battle than sometimes we think. And listen to what he says. When they come in and they say, we have seen the Lord, he says, unless I see the hands, the mark of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will, and a lot of translations say, I will not believe. But actually, I think the ESV gets it right where it says, I will never believe, which has a totally different force to it. The words that are in the original language, it's, it's two words that are kind of a double negative 
that, G, that, that it's, it's these two words that both, basically both mean not. And they're put together. And times when that happens, it's, at times it's to provide emphasis. That Thomas isn't just saying, man, this would be nice. He said, I will never believe unless this happens, which kind of adds weight to all the stuff before that. I mean, think about it. The disciples have just come in and, and told them we've seen the Lord. And I'm sure they told them we saw, we saw the marks. We saw the marks and we saw his side. But Thomas says, that's not enough. No, no. I need to put my hands in those marks. I need to drive my hand in his side. And if I don't, don't expect me to join you guys. No, don't come at me with that. It's too hard. I've already tried that. I've already given my life to that. I cannot join this again just by you guys, you know, just telling me he showed up. I'm glad he showed up for you guys. But not for me. I can't do that again. Sure, we want to give space to that as well. I mean, this is the resurrection. No one had ever done this before. Of course, it's, 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 it's humanly impossible. And the disciples didn't believe as well. When Mary told them, they're also living in fear. But I think the weight of what Thomas is saying, it's almost an ultimatum. It's almost like he's saying, this is the, the, the most far-fetched thing I can think of if I'm even going to consider going back, if I'm going to ever consider believing. I have to hold Jesus. I have to know if I'm going to do this again, if I'm going to dedicate my life to all this again after all that disappointment and all that failure and all that trauma, I need to know that this is true. You know, he's more, I think, I wonder, he's more like an ex-evangelical or deconstructionist than just a simple skeptic. That this is a man who grew up in the church. That this is a man who followed Jesus closely, volunteered, did all the service projects, gave his life to the ministry, and all of it crumbled down before him. And so he's left just looking at the exit, traumatized. And maybe, friends, you've, you've found your play, your, your, yourself in that place. You know, all of us experience times of, of highs and wonder, wonderful experiences, joys, all of that, but certainly there's times where we go through real trial and challenge, difficulty, and some of you guys have gone through tremendous trauma in marriage, in your childhood, in your upbringing, maybe even in the last couple of years, and you're carrying that, and you might feel like God has abandoned you, or that you got the short end of the stick, or that the Christian life you thought was going to be so wonderful and beautiful is just full of difficulty and suffering and pain and disappointment, and wondering where is God in all of that? Maybe you have major trepidations, you know, maybe there are legitimate doubts. All of us go through seasons where we wonder. I mean, we're looking and studying and trusting in something that's 2,000 years old. 
you know? So sometimes there's those seasons of like, is, is this really worth it? Is this really true? And those questions deserve answers. You know, there's, there's space and, and, and place to, to wrestle through those things. And God gives us the latitude for that. Sometimes the, it's the, the real tragedy and difficulty and trauma of life that can shake our faith and even shatter it. And I want us to hold on to that for just a moment. Because we see Jesus respond. We see Jesus show up for the disciples and for Thomas. That Jesus shows up in the first scene and he, and he comes to them and the first thing he says is peace be with you. Some scholars think this is just a simple hello, which it was. You know, in that culture, peace be with you was a common greeting. It was just a common way of, of saying, declaring, you know, God's peace be upon you, just like how we often greet each other. But Jesus says it three times in these two scenes, which gives an indication that this, is, this might be more than just a greeting. And in fact, before this, in John chapter 14, Jesus promises them a, a, a peace that's not just a temporary, you know, momentary, or even just a good feeling kind of peace. In John 14, 27, he says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Neither let, don't let your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. That Jesus is reminding them, this is before he's about to be crucified, that he is giving them peace. But this isn't, isn't just momentary peace, it's not just a good feeling. This is everlasting peace. This is eternal peace. And this is first peace between God and his people. Because the scripture says that you and I, because of our sin and because without Jesus, we just latch on and devote all our life to it, no matter what it looks like, no matter how good we might be on the outside, all of us are devoted to our sin if we don't have Jesus. And therefore, because God is holy, we are enemies. We're enemies of God. So what Jesus came to do was to bring peace between us and God, which is part of the peace that Jesus is talking about. And these are the disciples who left him out to die. These are the disciples who totally abandoned him. Outside of John and Peter, there's no record of any of the disciples being present when Jesus was crucified or tried. They took off running. Jesus comes to them and didn't say, okay, let's talk about all of that. I want to remind you guys, you know, next time, it'd be nice if you stuck around. <laughs> he comes to them and the first thing that comes out of his mouth is peace. Peace be to you. The eternal, everlasting peace with God. And he proves them by showing him his hands and his side. This is the peace this is the cost of the peace that I gave for you. Yes, it's to display to them who he is. It's to show them that I am the one who died and I am also the one who is literally standing here before you alive, just like I promised. That I am the God who died. I'm, 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 I'm the one who died for you. And here's the proof. Here are the scars that I gave for you. He shows them his hands and his side. 
But then he appears to Thomas. He shows up over a week later and he, and he appears to Thomas. And again, he doesn't do what we expect. Think about it, you know, what Thomas just said. He just had a moment that his disciples came to him and gave him the best news he could ever hear in his life. And he almost, told, he just about told him to kick rocks. <laughs> you know, Jesus doesn't come to him and say, well, you had your chance. That was your chance, man. You should have trusted your brothers. They saw me and believed. You should have known. He doesn't say that. He comes to Thomas and he speaks to him directly and he says, come, touch my hands. Feel my side. He speaks to him directly and he says, Thomas, I'm here. Hear my hands. You want to touch my hands? Here they are. You want to feel my side? Please do it. He comes down to Thomas's level. The risen Jesus, the exalted, glorified Jesus, still is reaching down to the people he loves. He's coming down to Thomas's bitter unbelief, and he's reaching down in love, and he's saying, come. Come to me. Come back to me. Hear the scars. Here's what it cost to save you. I did this for you. I received and took on these scars for you because I love you. Come. If you need to touch them, do it. This is the deep love that Jesus has for Thomas. And what this means is that even the bitter unbelief that Thomas was holding on to is the same bitter unbelief that Jesus took on himself and put on the cross and paid for. And friends, the, the times and seasons where you and I are just so overcome with whatever it is we're going through that we're just blinded and overcome with fear and maybe anger and bitterness and doubt, that even that, trusting in Jesus, even that, was put on the cross. Then Jesus come and reaches down to Thomas, where he's at, in his unbelief, and he calls him to himself. And Thomas gives one of the most beautiful testimonies that we see in the scriptures. He says, my Lord and my God, which some scholars say is like a bookend of, of talking about and, and proclaiming Jesus' Jesus's deity of being one with the Father, being the Son of God. Then in John 1, 1, it says, the word was God. So here, Thomas is, is kind of closing the book, my Lord and my God, which is an Old Testament title for Yahweh. This is the God of the Old Testament. This is the God who's come as he promised. Came down to earth, became man, suffered, died, and rose again for him. He gets it. He gets it. He remembers all the promises and what Jesus had done for him. And friends, no amount of sin, no amount of unbelief, no amount of doubt, no amount of fear can take you away from the love that Jesus has for you. That Jesus crucified and suffered to pay for you. No matter what you've done, no matter what you've gone through, 
And I understand there, there are moments where we're wrestling and, and it's hard. It's hard to look to Jesus. It's hard to see him working. It's hard to, to feel his mercy and his grace and to feel his peace. But Jesus hasn't left. He's still with you. And his promises are still for you. But then there's a special calling that Jesus gives his disciples and it, and it comes down to us as well. First he calls them to a deeper faith. So often as Jesus does when he meets someone who's grappling with a particular sin, he addresses it. <laughs> he doesn't leave it just, just out in the air. He, he sometimes heads straight into it. And so he tells Thomas, why do you doubt? Do not be unbelieving, but believe. He calls Thomas to come out of his place of unbelief. He reaches down for him and pulls him out. And as he's doing it, he says, stop doubting and believe. And then he says, as, as Thomas testifies and says, my Lord and my God, he says, Have you, are, are you saying that because you see me? Blessed are those who have not seen yet believe. This isn't just a, a, a rebuke or you know, a, a swipe at Thomas, although it's true. You know, Jesus is saying faith and trust is, is a matter of what we don't see, putting our hope and trust in what we don't see. But he's also pointing to the way this chapter closes with as some people say it's like the thesis of John. Jesus did many other signs in the, uh, the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and by believing you may have life in his name. So what John is saying here is he's talking about us. That you and I don't have the luxury of seeing the risen Jesus, but we do have his word that God has promised is enough to give us the faith we need, to build our hope, to build our trust that's full of God's promise and grace. It's the only place that we can lean and trust in, that nothing else can provide, that nothing else can satisfy except the promise and grace of Jesus that's in the gospel. That's what God gives us. And he calls us to put our hope in it. He calls us to trust in it. Which again is challenging and hard. And, and, and I, I understand there's, this is a big book. <laughs> and there's a lot of texts and things that are sometimes hard to understand. And there are seasons in life where we feel like God is far off. But sometimes it's a slow and steady climb. Sometimes it's a slow and steady just leaning on Jesus. Sometimes it's saying, Lord, I do not see you. I don't feel you. I don't even think and you're here. But I need you. And I need your help to see. And I need your help to know that you're there and that you care for me. Sometimes it's just the simple confession, understanding your inability and weakness, but leaning on Jesus. 
And what God promises to us is that he will show his faithfulness and care for us as we work that out and struggle in our trust in him and gives us the space and the latitude to do that. Sometimes it's quick like Thomas where we just see the wonder and beauty and grace of God that's just so palpable. But at times it's those small doses of just remembering God's promise, remembering God's care for us, remember that he hasn't forgotten about us and knowing that he's present with us. Sometimes it's just the continual leaning in to Jesus. So lean in, friends. Lean in to the promises that God has given you. That God promises to continue to strengthen your faith in him. And maybe you're here. You wouldn't call yourself a Christian. You don't think you believe in this gospel and who Jesus is, and we are so glad you're here. We would love to talk to you after service, and God is calling you. God is calling you where you're at. Maybe you've just driven everything down as far as it can go, and there's nowhere else to turn. And know that there's nothing else in this world that can offer this kind of peace and happiness and joy and forgiveness than Jesus can. So Jesus is calling you to come. Jesus is offering and showing you the scars that he gave, the death that he gave for you to purchase you from your place of sin and darkness. If you have questions about that, we would love to talk to you. But then there's the greater mission that God calls his disciples. Remember, these are the men that just a moment ago were cowering in fear. And yet Jesus gives them this charge. He, he tells them, he, uh, he, he says, um, uh, where am I? I'm in the wrong chapter. Uh, He says, uh, then his disciples were glad when they saw him. This is verse 21. Jesus said to them again, peace be with you as the father sent me, even though I am sent, even even so I am sending you. That Jesus is, is reminding them that they have a mission, that he is sending them out, but he's sending them out with divine power. That Jesus had prayed for this in John chapter 17 that as the Father had sent Jesus to save his people, so Jesus is saying with that same divine power, I'm, I'm sending you guys out to tell everyone about this, to proclaim to people the forgiveness of sins. And then he says, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you withhold the forgiveness from any, it is withheld. We can get deep in the weeds with here and we just don't have time to do that. Really what Jesus is saying here is he's given his apostles, the disciples, a special kind of authority. We call this apostolic authority. That the disciples actually had that power to go out and proclaim and their words were binding. You and I don't have that same kind of verbal power that the apostles did, but he's given his church, his word, which is the apostles' word, that the disciples wrote what they saw. 
And these words that they put down have that same divine, triune power. And you've noticed in this text, all three persons are mentioned. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit. All working in the sending out of the gospel and bringing people to himself. And he invites the apostles to be a part of that. Even though we don't have that same kind of power, we have his word which does have that power. We believe that the church has a level of authority to proclaim God's word and truth and promise that when we preach and teach that God is, is working and his spirit is moving in that. But even you and I as individual Christians are still charged that God is sending you and I out. That as, as Jesus says in Matthew 28, says go and make disciples. That includes you and I. That you and I have the privilege of taking God's word to people. Of proclaiming the resurrection life that is here in this word and pointing people to the source. That you and I have the privilege of going to people and seeing them as we, we witness and bring them into the source of where they can have life. That's what John says at the end of this text, that they may have life in his name, that we can see spiritually dead people come to life and experience the resurrection life the disciples experience and experience resurrection life that is working in us here and now and experience the joy of the Lord and friends, no matter how far someone seems, think about Thomas. Think of just how skeptical and just in a place of just unable to put his eyes back on Jesus, that Jesus came for him. Whoever belongs to Jesus, no matter how far, no matter just how far gone they seem, that Jesus is gonna save them. And there's nothing that can stop that. But the beauty of that is, is that he invites you and I to be a part of it. That he invites you and I to bring that word to people, to be that channel of God's mercy and grace and invite people in to the kingdom. And even Thomas was included in this call. Even Thomas in his, just, his, his, his skepticism and doubt was still invited to be an agent of God's resurrection life. That you and I have the privilege and, and ministry of going and telling others about this risen Jesus that has come for them just as he has come for us. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we, Lord, thank you for your deep and abundant grace that you have given us, Lord, that is ours because of Jesus. It's not because of anything we've done or able to do. God, you are gracious enough to come down to save us, to take on human form, to die for us, to suffer the punishment of God's wrath. But you also rose from the dead and you reign, Lord, in heaven over us and you love us and still by your spirit are working in us a, a faith, a stronger faith, a stronger trust in you. And we need that help, Lord. There are seasons and times of life where you seem far off or we are too far gone. 
Lord, so help us to remember the great sacrifice and love that Jesus gave for us. And then we would take that and your word with the resurrection life and divine power that is in it and be bringing people to you, telling others about the wonderful grace that is theirs in Jesus and bringing people to know you, to follow you and worship you. Help us, Lord, as we do that, we pray in the name of Jesus for his sake. Amen.